Hey guys, in today's podcast, I sit down with an amazing, amazing individual professional from the mobility field. Her name is Ms. Aishwarya Raman. She has spent the last 10 years in the mobility space in India. She started off as the founder of Auto Raja, a social enterprise to help uh, bridge the gap between the auto rickshaw community and consumers in Chennai. It was a pretty, pretty massive hit in the South Indian uh, region. And then she moved on, she and her team moved on to Ola, scaled their auto rickshaw business from 7 to 70 cities in India, which we all love, uh, you know, Ola Auto. Uh, and then she's now the Associate Director of Ola Mobility Institute, which is uh, the sort of policy wing of funded by Ola that uh, tries to bring together the insights and the learnings of the business community in the mobility space and tries to present it to the government in a way that they understand and hopefully draft policies along the way uh, that help the companies in this space. So had a super insightful session with her. We spoke about, you know, sociology. She's, she's a sociologist, by the way, by education. And, you know, spoke about her unique perspective on uh, the mobility industry, how should people go about it and you know what are the impacts uh, that this industry can, will and already has on the world. So tune into this amazing, amazing podcast and I'm sure you'll love it. You're listening to the Driven Differently Audio Experience, a podcast hosted by Chirag Joshi, an Indian entrepreneur who hosts guests both from his industry of electric vehicles and sustainable mobility and people completely unrelated like artists and creators with the intention of getting as many people involved in the mission to upgrade humanity to sustainable ways of transportation, aka being driven differently. And Aishwarya, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Uh, why don't you, you know, give the community a sort of short intro about who you are and what you do? Thanks for having me, Chirag. Uh, I've actually went through quite a few number of podcast sessions, episodes from the last few um, uh, that were published over the last few weeks and found them to be quite insightful. Uh, I think the introduction you gave uh, fits me right. I did start off my journey in the mobility space as a sociologist. Uh, I then joined Ola. Right before that, there was a brief stint, entrepreneurial stint, if you may. Mm -hmm. And then I carried that amount of entrepreneurship over to Ola as well and was handling mm -hmm. uh, business for a particular category. Uh, and then yeah. now I do public policy research in the same space. So mm -hmm. it's been close to a decade of experience in yeah. the mobility domain that I I'm very proud of at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's great. No, I, I mean, when I first stumbled upon you uh, on LinkedIn, I mean, I was really excited to find Auto Raja and then Sociology, Ola, and of course now Ola Mobility Institute. So for all those listening and watching the podcast, let me just briefly sort of, you know, skim through uh, Aishwarya's uh, sort of, you know, experience. So she started out, uh, of course, life as a sociologist, which is a very interesting way to approach mobility. And I believe the right way, uh, you know, and, and a way in which, I mean, someone like you has so much more perspective on, you know, what the problems are that we're facing in terms of, you know, shifting from the current way of transportation to the future way of mobility that we want, right? We'll come back to that, but uh, Aishwarya started her uh, career as uh, the founder and CEO of this uh, social enterprise called Auto Raja in Chennai. 
uh, all the South Indian folks must have uh, heard about this because I did. I grew up in Bangalore. So I definitely heard about it. Uh, then she moved on. She and her team uh, moved on. Uh, uh, the same team moved on to Ola. And I think, you know, they scaled uh, their uh, auto rickshaw vertical across India in multiple cities. Uh, which was great for us because now we didn't need to haggle with our auto rickshaw people and we could just you know book a ride and just get down to it <laughs> and then she's moved on to uh, the ola mobility institute which in my opinion is a great way to sort of uh, bring together and bridge the gap between the business community and of course the government through policies so that's in brief about what aishwarya does you know just so that we uh, frame some context here uh, but aishwarya uh, tell me about you know how how uh, how did life start off and you know why how did you stumble upon sociology as a subject of interest oh wow i didn't think you would go that far <laughs> uh, back in history but um, no i've always been fascinated by politics and the economy uh, i grew up studying science all through my schooling pursued that in my 11th and 12th standards as well but uh, deep at heart i knew i did not want to go down the engineering route uh, which is so typical of many of us but i felt that i was drawn more to social sciences and for me sociology um, felt like a good area to start uh, not so much economics but sociology simply because it allowed me to study communities Uh, mm-hmm. so from what i know sociology and anthropology are only two uh, social science streams that allow you to investigate use science to study uh, human behavior and mm-hmm. that is something that fascinated me throughout uh, mm-hmm. and um, as a student as a school student i was um, quite interested in seeing how education could be improved in the country and throughout that journey of exploring these social issues i realized that uh, you know equipped with a sociology degree i might be able to address some of the social issues around us so a lot mm-hmm. of the issues that i was picking up as a kid were in terms yeah. of uh, lack of good quality education for everybody mm-hmm. in the country irrespective of their socio economic backgrounds and in mm-hmm. order for somebody to address that i felt sociology would be a good choice so i made mm-hmm. that informed decision <laughs> early on <laughs> to enter a college that offered me sociology as a degree uh, and mm-hmm. i studied that for uh, for um, four years yeah okay that's great i mean I, i don't know how rare it is for someone to pick up sociology in 2010 but 2020 it seems like you know this this still you know the art stream i believe it falls under arts right sociology yeah so in india it's in arts but interestingly in the uk where i pursued <laughs> my masters i did a masters in sociology at oxford so there it's an mse so i went yeah. from an arts <laughs> art student yeah. to science as well which is interesting to see Yeah yeah exactly so that's what i mean i mean i don't know how 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 unpopular was your choice of choosing sociology uh, you know in 2010 when you were i mean or, yeah, or it, you know when you were choosing college exactly. exactly so between so i did my undergraduation between 2008 and 11 and it was uh, quite a surprise to a lot of my teachers uh, in school uh, to have found me you know opting for sociology over a lot of the engineering and other science subjects that they would, were really hoping i would do and there were a lot of attempts to also dissuade me i think we also come from uh, and and i also found at that t- point in time that a lot of uh, conservation existed in cities la- in cities in the south compared to the north for example i would imagine that a kid growing up in delhi would be uh, would not be dissuaded from joining 
sociology uh, for pursuing sociology at a college in uh, you know delhi university so mm-hmm. i think that's the kind of a difference uh, a lot mm-hmm. does happen differently in delhi and mumbai i feel uh, mm-hmm. i grew up in Mad- madurai and chennai most of my time so mm-hmm. uh, there yeah. of course we uh, uh, sociology is never the first choice <laughs> for everybody so yeah uh, yeah no but i'm glad no. to hear from you that things could be changing now a decade mm-hmm. later definitely definitely i mean uh, i mean i i studied i i studied in christ so we had a very vibrant arts community you know and yeah. i mean all the bba people just found these guys very cool you know i mean like we were dressed up and shaved clean shaved and all of that stuff and here were these guys you know very into uh, you know expressing themselves and learning some real stuff you know because uh, we really didn't study much in bba so that's 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 how it turned out for us but uh, coming back to sociology so uh, i mean i honestly you know before i met you had not haven't given much of a thought about what sociology is and what do people study in it right but of course you know while we were because we had to prepare for this podcast i was just going through you know about what sociology basically means and it basically means you know the study of how human societies work what are the problems and how can one find uh, the solutions to these problems that might exist for decades or centuries right that's basically what sociology is and i found that really interesting for someone to study and ex- and especially when someone like you who studies such a deep subject and then comes into the mobility stream where you know i believe most of the problems are very human centric and that if we understand humans well and you know what the problems are that we can find solutions to even mobility or for that matter anything because at the end of the day it's people creating problems for other people so if you understand that that dynamic then you know i think uh, we'll be able to better uh, uh you know come up with solutions to a lot of the problems in the world right i think everybody should be a sociologist not so much an engineer not so much a business person but sociologist definitely you know you need to understand how people work uh so anil let me ask you when you were uh, so so uh before joining sociology you had an idea that okay you know i'm going to be able to solve some problems in society uh, mostly around education then then where did uh, uh you know mobility enter your life sure so uh so from my high school higher secondary and then through uh, college uh, like i mentioned i was only fascinated by the education domain i felt that there were a lot of inequities and inequalities in the in the way in which education is uh, uh, shared education is provided as a public good as a service to people uh, and that was primarily the issue that i wanted to address equipped with a sociology degree uh but within uh, but by the time i reached my second year in college um i had quite a few interesting encounters with auto rickshaw drivers in chennai uh, mm-hmm. so this is my first time being uh, you know being a part of uh, chennai as a city i'd only been visiting mm-hmm. chennai and this is the first time that i was living there uh, breathing mm-hmm. the chennai air living the chennai culture and then mm-hmm. i noticed how the drivers auto drivers in chennai Uh, had a subculture of their own that was so different and distinct from a lot of the other drivers i had come across in other cities so be it mm-hmm. in mumbai or bangalore so in mumbai you you know you hail a drive you hail an auto rickshaw or a kali peeli mm-hmm. taxi and then you know mm-hmm. the service is going to be brilliant you know they're not necessarily going to refuse you uh, mm-hmm. to take you or ferry you to a particular destination and in yeah. chennai this is the you know there was a diametrically opposite experience that i was gaining and for me uh, because every single driver i met was behaving in this way i realized there was a uh, a systemic issue 
right? It cannot mm-hmm. be that uh, a whole community of drivers are behaving in a certain fashion because all of them simply want to refuse rides. Uh, it yeah. didn't make sense that they would refuse fares because at the end of the day, they are earning by driving yeah. at their livelihood. Mm-hmm. So why would they, they be refusing business in that sense? So yeah. for me, uh, studying this became important simply because I identified this as a systemic problem. So mm-hmm. as a sociology graduate uh, who's still pursuing sociology, mm-hmm. I felt a sociological study on the lives and behaviors of auto rickshaw drivers in Chennai was warranted. Until then, mm-hmm. nobody has also studied that particular community. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, start, starting that allowed me to also look at the challenges that informal sector workers in India face. So a lot mm-hmm. of the drivers, uh, I mean, every driver, by virtue of not having, uh, not being associated with a single employer, yeah. uh, from uh, a lack of access to uh, mm. a good quality education, affordable healthcare, uh, or even mm. consistent and constant livelihood of earning opportunities. Yeah. Uh, so mm. this allowed me to, uh, you know, write a whole thesis on this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, on this case, I interviewed a lot of drivers. So right from the age of 20, I've been mm-hmm. interacting with auto rickshaw drivers in any city I go to and more, more so in Chennai uh, because that's mm-hmm. where I was studying. Uh, so mm-hmm. my master's degree to uh, continue, uh, you know, allowed me the cha- gave me the chance to continue looking at this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there too, I continued studying the uh, unorganized sector domain and also yeah. uh, particularly individuals are associated with the mobility sector. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is my thesis, uh, you know, also a thesis that earned me a seat in Oxford. So a lot yeah. of what I, I am today, I owe to the drivers of Chennai <laughs> simply because yeah. they opened my eyes to a lot of issues that they were facing, but also mm-hmm. uh, helped me study their um, challenges yeah. and think of systematically uh, addressing those challenges. Yeah. Uh, so Makes that's sense. how my entry to uh, the mobility sector mm-hmm. happened. Uh, yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah. That, that, ahead, that's that's an interesting sort of, you know, graph in terms of, you know, uh, you, I mean, of course, you know, as a first-hand experience, you encounter this situation in the city of Chennai. Uh, I mean, because of a curiosity, you decide to pursue it. Uh, you happen to be in a course that allows you to do research on such things, you know, which is great. Uh, and that led you on to give your seat into Oxford. And then, of course, you know, your whole career being forced into that. So that's great. You know, that, that that's a great, interesting path. Now, what happens? So so we understand the problem now that, OK, you know, that this whole beha- this whole way in which the auto rickshaw people were behaving wasn't uh, uh, was detrimental to them and to, of course, the public who wanted these services. Right. So what was the solution that, you know, you came up with uh, and that that then came on to known as Auto Raja? Uh, what sure. was that? Sure. So what I recognized was that um, in the mobility space, we've got to look at three primary actors. So you have the service provider who is your individual auto rickshaw driver. And I use individual, the word individual consciously because uh, drivers in a way are not associated with a larger mm-hmm. organization. They all operate individually. They're micro entrepreneurs yeah. in that sense. They're all self-employed and micro entrepreneurs. Yeah. So that uh, we need to recognize that specific actor as the service provider. Then we mm-hmm. have the uh, consumer, the passenger, the commuter. Uh, mm-hmm. and who's availing services from this micro-entrepreneur and largely a regulator. In, in our mm-hmm. case, the regulator is somebody who sets fares, 
who sets mm. uh, the uh, level playing field in which multiple mm. actors can provide services, so on yeah. and so forth. So mm. the interesting um, uh, problem that we were able to, systemic problem that we were able to identify was that uh, the auto rickshaw fares um, are not periodically revised and as mm -hmm. frequently revised as you would want them to be mm -hmm. for a variety of regulatory concerns. One, mm -hmm. in a pre-smartphone era, uh, we've mm -hmm. got to only operate using uh, physical meters. So yeah. any change to fares meant that millions of vehicles' physical meters had to be physically calibrated and yeah. recalibrated over and over again. And wow. it became difficult for you to do something like that, right? Mm. Uh, so this was some kind of an operational challenge. The other is, of course, that you cannot come across as a government that's constantly increasing fares to the mm -hmm. detrimental effect of reducing demand for uh, auto rickshaws. So a good yeah. case in Mumbai was that when auto rickshaw rates were increased in the last decade or so, auto driver unions resisted that rise. They said, mm -hmm. we don't want a hike because we want our rates to be competitive, right? Yeah. So they want market to determine, market forces to mm -hmm. determine the prices and allow mm -hmm. for competition to drive home, uh, you mm -hmm. know, excellent service for the end user. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. was the case in Chennai too. We realized that the fares weren't getting revised as frequently as you would want them to. And mm -hmm. in consonance with the increasing rate of living, increasing cost of living. Yeah. This yes. meant that the drivers were forced to drive at, say, uh, decade-old rates in mm -hmm. 2008, in 2010. And that mm -hmm. meant that they would have to operate at a loss, right? Yeah. And therefore, they began charging fares that they wish to charge. Yeah. And there was no mm -hmm. uniformity. So the mm -hmm. only way we could address this problem was to introduce a fare system that was conducive to both the driver and, you know, for them to... Uh, earn a livelihood off of driving auto rickshaws, but also a fair system that suited the end user, lest auto yeah. rickshaw be too expensive for the end user. So yeah. uh, we realized, so as I was doing this research, I realized that we one needs this kind of a fair revision to happen uh, that suits uh, 2010 scenario, uh, the mm -hmm. decade of 2010s, uh, and uh, you know that would in a way bring back the trust. Uh, mm -hmm. and bridge that trust deficit that exists between the driver and the passenger. Uh, yeah. So that was our first, uh, uh, you know, that's what I basically theorized mm -hmm. about in my uh, thesis. Yeah. Um, and then slowly the other uh, fundamental elements or the building blocks to my enterprise started taking shape. Uh, mm -hmm. I spoke about how uh, the, uh, by virtue of belonging to the informal sector, and mm -hmm. a worker does not have access to a lot of welfare benefits. So mm -hmm. when that is the case, then how do you systematically solve for this kind of a problem? Uh, and yeah. I realized that um, all we do need to do is uh, facilitate access to existing social security measures. So mm -hmm. a lot of the state governments and central government agencies run a plethora of uh, benefit schemes for the uh, for the benefit of workers, and mm -hmm. it's it's you know usually access issues that prevents workers from gaining access to such mm -hmm. measures. And these yeah. relief measures only need to be, um, you know, provided to the workers and they already exist. So mm -hmm. I began working with the um, uh, Tamil Nadu State Government Welfare Department, understanding the welfare measures that were available for auto drivers. And I realized that all we needed to do was educate drivers 
about the mm-hmm. existence of them and perhaps create a, a platform that helps them access these benefits. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in a way, we are laying the foundation for social security benefits to be portable, right? You know, an mm-hmm. individual does not have to be associated with an employer to yeah. uh, get, get, gain these benefits. But mm-hmm. even as a micro entrepreneur, even as an individual who's self-employed, you do have mm-hmm. access to benefits. So that's yeah. what I started theorizing and uh, that laid the foundation for Autoraja. So mm-hmm. Autoraja became a platform that not only provided or rather facilitated access of the worker, of the uh, mm-hmm. individual auto rickshaw driver to uh, benefits um, uh, such mm-hmm. as uh, pension pension and uh, other retirement benefits, insurance schemes, uh, health and life insurance, et cetera, mm-hmm. that the government of, was offering. Uh, we also mm-hmm. facilitated access to loans so that individuals could mm-hmm. buy options. So this yeah. became the foundation uh, of Autoraja. And then we realized this needs to be sustainable. So we need to start generating yeah. revenues. And that's mm-hmm. when solving for the trust deficit between the consumer and the uh, service provider came in. So we said that, you know, hey, let's come up with a fair and also perhaps open up what is called a call auto service. So this was yeah. in the pre-smartphone era. So we yeah. had folks busy calling our line mm-hmm. up and we would, mm-hmm. you know, on their behalf, place a booking for an auto rickshaw and, you know, send the auto driver to their pickup location and have the fast. Yeah ferried around so mm-hmm. this is we, we must have had i don't know how young you were then but uh, i'm sure I was 10 years taxi old. Service. Years <laughs> old. <laughs> uh, called taxi services were a big thing back then and mm-hmm. i'm sure they still are in a lot of tired too and many of the smaller markets where um, yeah. smartphones um, aren't readily available but mm-hmm. um, you know call auto was very fairly new uh, we were mm-hmm. one of the earliest startups to uh, be established mm-hmm. in this space. And we set ourselves up uh, on the challenge of being a social enterprise. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so these that's are great. two things we did. Yeah. That, that's amazing. So, so, so uh, I, I like the way that, you know, you identified the core problem that was you not only, you know, there was not only the problem from a fair standpoint, but also the access to existing capital, which the government yeah. was anyway providing to these guys, but they just didn't know. Uh, and I love the fact that, you know, that that became uh, a, a good way and a, a good actually, you know, scheme for people to uh, for these auto drivers to gravitate towards auto Raja and, you know, of yeah. course, close in the trust deficit. And uh, uh, so so what was the impact of the solution that you came up with? Uh, talk sure. about that for a bit. So we were able to work with uh, a little over 2,500 driver families in Chennai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started off with around 20, 23 drivers, to be precise, when we launched the call auto service itself. Uh, and then slowly that snowballed into something larger and the existing Rajas were able to draw in more drivers. Uh, we work very closely in communities uh, that were primarily established as slum rehabilitation settlements. Uh, so that allowed us... Uh, a deeper understanding of the lives and livelihoods of auto drivers and their family members. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's how we came about, uh, came up with this whole three wheels of social change concept as well uh, mm-hmm. while working with the drivers. So in addition to providing access to a livelihood opportunity, such as the business that generate gets generated from call auto, we were able mm-hmm. to then facilitate access to healthcare, education, and institutional credit. So the three wheels of social mm-hmm. change. Um, very iconic and symbolic of an auto rickshaw also. 
given that it carries, uh, it has three wheels. So uh, we also, uh, in terms of social impact, we also work uh, a community of transgender women in uh, Mm -hmm. Chennai. Uh, They were primarily our recruiting agents. So it was an interesting proposition that uh, serendipitously came our way. Uh, So Mm -hmm. somebody whom we were uh, interviewing for a uh, supply manager. So now I've learned those terms from Ola. (laughs) Uh, So for our supply manager, uh, so we were hiring for a supply manager and, and uh, somebody who came to us said that they're running this beautiful uh, nonprofit organization engaging transgender women and mm-hmm. would we be keen to employing them. So that yeah. was our segue into uh, also, uh, you know, you know, for a brief while understanding the challenges of transgender women and how employability for them is a huge question and also finding employment opportunities. Uh, so we worked mm-hmm. with them as well. So there were 11 of them who were on our payrolls and mm-hmm. uh, with them, we built this massive uh, community of 2,500 Rajas. Uh, and uh, pretty mm-hmm. soon we also had the uh, fortuitous opportunity of um, uh, putting together a group, bringing together a group of women who could be christened Auto Rani mm-hmm. and they all drove auto mm-hmm. rickshaws for a living. Uh, mm-hmm. So this too was done in Chennai. I'm sad to though but that we were not able to scale this specific model. And yeah. uh, that's something that, you know, I'm very <clears throat> passionate about doing. I hope mm-hmm. that we get a chance to see uh, yeah, yeah. at least half the drivers in India as women drivers uh, yep. through certain other structural changes. So that's yeah, something mm-hmm. that I do now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> but... Back in the day when I was running Autoraja and Autorani, it wasn't possible mm. for us to scale the Autoraja yeah. solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's amazing. I mean, every bit of that story has such unconventional sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of methodologies followed with, you know, using transgender women to, you know, hire these already frustrated auto rickshaw people onto a social enterprise platform like yours, right? So I think that, that that's really, I mean, I, I wonder, I'm just curious, you know, how did, I mean, see, uh, this is this is the thing, right? How did uh, uh, the auto rickshaw community or these people who are, you were recruiting react to the fact that, you know, there's a transgender person walking into my home or into my locality and asking me to join a platform that will give them more opportunities? Did you, did you get some insights into how they reacted yeah. to that? So it was an interesting icebreaker of sorts. So Mm -hmm. we've never had, I think, until the day that uh, Ola came into existence, I think it was very hard for auto drivers particularly and Kali Pili taxi drivers particularly to imagine that they too could be part of an aggregator, that they too could be. I think think it was just so new. And Mm -hmm. to sell this novel concept, I think for us, uh, we were just um, uh, lucky that we had such amazing partners in the form of transgender women who could mm-hmm. sell this proposition to auto drivers. I think there is a beautiful icebreaker that we ourselves could not have uh, you know, ever imagined would happen, right? I think mm-hmm. we were able to get the drivers to open up to this idea because our, uh, because our supply team was that good. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think it was easier for um, our, our transgender uh, women colleagues to also not fall into that stereotypical uh, you know concerns that typically mm-hmm. emerge in this space so uh, mm-hmm. we've not had um, com- concerns around harassment or we've yeah. not had at least back then we didn't have concerns around harassment we didn't have concerns mm-hmm. around any other form of teasing uh, but mm-hmm. i think they were just 
everybody was just drawn to this idea of yeah. being aggregated being given an opportunity mm-hmm. to earn more uh, mm-hmm. and that is precisely what's what you know any form of aggregation has done so it's just yeah. improved efficiency to such a great extent that people mm-hmm. can start earning more so mm-hmm. when you're only in a ride hail uh, sort mm-hmm. of a model if you're getting hailed only on off street on the street mm-hmm. offline then mm-hmm. it's hard for you to know where your next customer is going to come from yes and invariably yes. that involves the auto rickshaw driver uh, wasting their fuel and time looking for the next passenger Definitely. and there's yep. just not enough optimi- uh, optimization or enough efficiency mm-hmm. for them to maximize mm-hmm. their earnings uh, yeah. in a day so i think yeah. that sold <laughs> that whole proposition was what we were trying to sell drivers mm-hmm. and we succeeded to the effect of engaging 2500 drivers and also mm-hmm. managing to generate enough uh, uh, volumes of um, customers for yeah. such drivers. so mm-hmm. so yeah so i think transgender women were good for both us as well as the drivers in that sense yeah yeah that's great no i mean i love that that you know back in 2010 you know uh, you i mean the uh, you you sort of merged i mean i just like it you know that you're merging this all, all of these you know social issues out there with the world of mobility for the benefit of both of them right uh, at the one hand you know mobility just became better for the people in chennai for those 2500 families and on the other hand employment opportunities were passed on to transgender women who otherwise you know don't really have too many avenues to earn money uh, but i mean i'm sure you've heard this uh, you know the the uh, the army is now going to employ transgender women into their forces did you yes. did you hear about that Yes, yeah yes, so I, I was yeah. i was very excited to hear that you know that i mean the army is such a big employer of people i mean i can only yeah. imagine you know like what this means to the transgender community so a big I, shout I out i think that absolutely i think that signals a lot of positive things to all other employers in the country yeah. uh, i think we need uh, you know integration at all uh, levels of the society uh, i think yes. some of the times we might be forcing certain communities away to the borders uh, yes. and while we do need integration there we also mm-hmm. need integration in the heartland or in the mainland exactly. in the heart of a city so how can we do you know how can we facilitate that integration better mm-hmm. uh, what kind of employability do we need to how do we need to improve the employability and uh, yeah, you know yeah. skill people better uh, and how can we also create earning opportunities and avenues yeah. for them yeah so, no absolutely uh, yeah. that you know you know it's one of my goals so i i mean i've been talking about sustainability and all of this stuff for for quite a, quite some time you know very publicly uh but one of my things is that you know i realize myself that you know in the blanket war of you know sort of sustainability fighting for sustainability there are so many sort of smaller wars uh that that smaller battles that you know we're fighting in terms of you know sustainability not just in the way not just you know better for the planet but also better for human beings in terms of social inclusion you know so i completely resonate to the fact that you know we this that the that this shift this gigantic shift that's happening should not just you know uh, push us it, it shouldn't just be a technological change i i think it'll be too bad that it just remains a technological change and not a social cultural change right so i think uh, that's yeah. something that i would definitely want to see uh, pushing forward and i'm great it's I, it's great to know that you know you started that back in 2010 so you know yes i think what we 
Thank you. So what we are realizing now, and you know, I'm realizing this after almost 10 years of uh, being in this space is also that technology actually bridges a lot of these divides. Uh, mm -hmm. And these would simply be inadvertent outcomes, even if somebody is not consciously building a social enterprise. Yeah. Inadvertently, technology is just removing a lot of entry barriers and you never know mm -hmm. it. And we're seeing yes. that with the emergence and the fast track growth of platforms in India. Right. Yeah. So ever since 2010, the amazing impact that a platform like Ola or now mm. urban companies having yeah. Uh, with in 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 the not just in the lives and livelihoods of workers that they yeah. uh, you know positively impact, but also so many of us, millions of us who are users, and yeah. uh, you know we are seeing platforms by their very nature becoming very mm -hmm. inclusive, uh, simply mm -hmm. because they don't have as many entry barriers as a traditional job does. Yeah. So your yes, yes. your working environment is anything that your uh, wherever your smartphone is is your office. It can take yeah. you places. Uh, you can sit at mm -hmm. home and work. So I think that's what platform economy is doing. And yeah. um, in a way, India should realize that that's it's sort of a growth lever. It needs to treat exactly. it that way. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree to that fact. But, you know, I'm just very sort of, you know, biased towards uh, the mobility industry that, you know, it sort of leads the change in every way possible and, you know, makes a huge impact because transportation and mobility really does impact every life on the planet, right? I mean, some things are debatable, but mobility is not, right? I mean, uh, the the way of mobility may change, the modes, but the need of it hardly does because we always need to move. Uh, so so that being said, you know, uh, that that's something that I find, that that's something that excites me to work in this industry that, you know, we have a chance of changing the way people sort of move forever, right? And hopefully in a way that doesn't harm the planet. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my hopes on the, like my bar the, the bar that I want this industry to sort of, you know, set for every other industry to follow is quite high in my own head. So hopefully we can sort of bring that out. <laughs> yes. No, yes no, I was just going to remark that your passion is infectious. Uh, and I think, you know, we are all um, in that space where we do want mobility to be that game changer. Uh, and it is, like you said, travel demand is only going to go up. Urbanization is also happening. And people are going to move for education and livelihood opportunities, yes. whether we like yeah. it or not. And I think Definitely. COVID is only a small sort of a hurdle that we need to collectively yeah. overcome. Mm. Uh, but overall, yes, I think mobility can show the way it is quite. Absolutely. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because, you know, I mean, the simple fact is that, you know, India's mainstream economy is made up of what, like 300, 400 million people, you know, the rest. Yeah close to a billion people have, I mean, are going to come into the mainstream economy in the next coming. And, and with the urbanization that we see in India, that rate is just getting faster and faster each year, right? So our current systems, both mobility and everything else, don't have the capacity to handle that level of human beings, right? So clearly things need to change and for the better. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I want to know, you know, as a, uh, did entrepreneurship ever even strike your mind when you were starting out? studying sociology, this and that, you know, like, was it ever a thing? Like for me, it is. But was it for you? No, none at all. I think I was on set onto track, uh, set onto the track of becoming a researcher, being mm -hmm. a part of what we call the development arena of India. So yeah. you go to a nonprofit, you're at max, 
associated with philanthropic organizations. I don't think mm-hmm. at that point in time we were even thinking about what is called social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But I think my college did uh, its best. Uh, my undergraduate school in uh, in Chennai did its best to uh, introduce us to all these ideas. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think I felt that um, uh, you know application oriented research would do mm-hmm. much more good than starting an enterprise but Mm -hmm. you know i was properly held wrong by my own (laughs) assumption um simply because you know pretty soon i realized that i don't think anybody gets the opportunity to convert their thesis into an enterprise and have proper real world uh impact Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so so yeah no i no i don't think the uh, the entrepreneurial (laughs) bug truly bit me in Mm -hmm. uh in unknown ways and in an unknown fashion and and how and how and how was the uh, you know experience of auto raja how, how was that experience for you you know like being the person carrying this you know literally impacting the lives of several other human beings you know because of your research your thesis you know your hypothesis uh, how was that i mean what what did you learn as an entrepreneur you know uh, versus a researcher uh sure so i so one that uh, entrepreneurship is both easy and hard by easy i mean that you know there is we don't lose much in just trying mm-hmm. and that's why i would like to associate the word easy um mm-hmm. because uh, you know we we do say that you know you I, i think anything to do anything in life takes courage but yeah. entrepreneurship does not have to be that daunting affair for people all around us we see micro entrepreneurs we see um you know enterprises of varying sizes mm-hmm. doing their bit all of them have an impact mm-hmm. not just on the economy but on people's lives so it doesn't yeah. have to be a daunting affair so i'd like to iterate to at least you know uh, mm-hmm. students are pursuing sociology now tell them that it's not hard to yeah. make that transition so you don't have to go in with the mindset that you've always yeah. wanted to run an enterprise and therefore it's going to be easy or hard mm-hmm. and it's also difficult because you need to sustain stain that momentum with which you've started yeah. yes. right so as your enterprise starts scaling you run into a lot of challenges that's mm-hmm. when it does get hard it does get overwhelming uh i think you need the right kind of mentors so one of my greatest lessons from that whole experience is that i had amazing folks who i looked up to but i never reached out to them for proper mentorship mm-hmm. right and i think that lack of mentoring too could be one of the mm-hmm. reasons why i didn't adopt fast enough and adapt yeah. to the changing times and build like say a technology platform so mm-hmm. i think i think um uh, the when when you start seeing difficulties it's good yeah. to reach out and mm-hmm. that's where i also got lucky towards the fag end of running auto raja i also had the privilege of interacting with quite a few number of mobility entrepreneurs back in the mm-hmm. day these are the likes of folks at ola and others mm-hmm. who raised millions of dollars by then and expand and started expanding rapidly and yeah. i had so much to learn from them and mm-hmm. that's where the easy part comes back in people do mm-hmm. share it. they're very open minded folks want mm-hmm. to tell you what helped them succeed and what helped them fail at a lot of junctures so i think yeah. i think we've got to realize that there's a good balance like there's this, mm-hmm. um, there's a good mix of both easy things that we can do and difficulties but yeah. we do need to ensure that we embrace those challenges and find avenues to mm-hmm. to overcome them and these avenues mm-hmm. present themselves as individuals invariably 
because there's mm-hmm. somebody for that who's, who could have done something similar or has run into the yeah. same challenge mm-hmm. so yep uh, so yeah so this is my i would say this is one way i'd like to put uh, my uh, put into perspective some of what i learned uh, yeah. and i think my greatest takeaway is that you know don't hesitate from starting up is it isn't as daunting as we think it is mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i i think the challenges come later but i think we'll be able to mm-hmm. overcome them given now that yeah. there's so much uh, you mm-hmm. know we all we're all part of the shared knowledge economy after all yeah yeah absolutely you know that that that, that makes sense of course you know uh, i mean can't say too much about starting up myself because i'm just in the process so but but yeah i do resonate i mean like people like you people who i mean really make it bigger there is some they just see beyond those challenges they see you know what i mean they're driven by something just so internal that you know these challenges even though they're daunting and they're big in size and whatever you know it's just that they have it in them to just you know face them head on and then you know just move forward because the whole game is to just keep moving forward right no matter what just you know it, it, the, the point is to move forward and that's exactly what you did as well you know you uh, the whole uh, i mean you encountered a scaling problem with the whole uh, auto auto raja model and then you know i think the next thing that happened to you which is i think a great thing that happened you know which is uh, you went in uh, you know joined the ola team and i think there you did some exciting work in terms of scaling their auto rickshaw business to multiple cities in the country yeah. which is which is great you know because we know auto rickshaws i mean cabs was a new thing for us for the country's people but auto rickshaws super old for us and the fact that we could do it through our smartphones was game changing so tell tell me about that transition and you know uh, how how did that happen yes so i wanted to um, you know obviously we were running auto raja and we weren't able to scale like i mentioned because there was no technology platform that could scale yeah. the solution we had and uh, calling and you know dispatching these rides isn't an effective way to do this and in order to be you know in order to stay relevant in the on demand market in the on demand game you do need a solution that is scalable and that's why technology that's where technology comes in so um i realized that there were avenues through which i could uh, continue my association with the mobility sector although the auto raja model itself couldn't be scaled but i felt yeah. a lot of our own drivers for for that matter are a part of the ola fleet and it's amazing to see that transition they're all equipped with smartphones and this back in 2013 and 2014 was pretty brilliant to see that you know in real time and to see somebody as old as a 55 year old um driver using smartphone for the first time accepting a ride on it and mm-hmm. that definitely changed the way that both drivers approach their livelihood issue and mm-hmm. consumers looked at the availability yeah. of services so i mm-hmm. wanted to remain in this game because i realized that there's just so much more i could do and contribute to the building of this ecosystem uh so ola auto came as an opportunity which is pretty excellent for me uh so ola auto had just started off ola auto had started in close to seven cities in the country mm. and uh, the top seven metropolitan cities and they were mm. you know uh and i was interviewing with them at the time that they were looking for managers to run some of these cities so i started off in hyderabad and uh, i uh, who's a sociologist turned entrepreneur was given a you know uh, several um uh you know a large corpus in that sense to go scale mm-hmm. the solution uh, in mm-hmm. a multitude of cities so yeah. the ola auto uh, hyderabad experience proved super uh, exciting for me because it was a new geography uh, we also then realized that we cannot treat 
um, any worker community in the country as a homogeneous lot. Uh, mm -hmm. There is heterogeneity and there are a lot of varying challenges. So every, uh, every, especially with auto drivers, because they're so entrenched in the culture of that city that any solution that you provide to them has to be different, has to be unique. So could you um, give an example? Like, like how are the how how are the auto rickshaw community people different from uh, in Chennai and then Hyderabad? Sure. So um, Chennai drivers uh, were I would call them veterans. So mm -hmm. I would uh, you know on average back in the day back in 2013 and 14 Chennai auto drivers had at least 20 years of driving experience on them. Whereas uh, auto rickshaw drivers in Hyderabad were fresh out of college, fresh out of uh, diploma and ITI schools in the country. And they were so young and so open to the idea of embracing technology to, uh, to be able to earn. So mm -hmm. the and by the, so by way of generalizing, I'm going to be a little, uh, let me introduce a qualifier here. So a majority of the drivers that we interacted in Hyderabad were young. Uh, there are, of course, your veterans. There are those yeah. who have been driving autos for decades, and uh, mm -hmm. that's their primary uh, source of income. But also, mm -hmm. a lot of young entrants to this market only happened in Hyderabad, in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's something that you see distinctly between Delhi and Gurgaon also. So Delhi okay. has auto drivers who are much older. Whereas Gurugram yeah. would have auto drivers that are younger and a lot of mm -hmm. them are within quotes migrants. They've come from, mm -hmm. they come from the UP Bihar belt around or they come from other, they come from villages in Haryana to come, you know, pursue yeah. a livelihood opportunity in Gurugram. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is the distinction. So therefore, the way they react and respond to a technology solution is also going to be different. So it's perhaps yeah. easier for you to <clears throat> tell a younger person. So yeah, so you can, um, you know, you can, um, you expect younger drivers to respond more positively mm -hmm. to technology. Okay. They are fast to adapting and adopting, um, adapting to change and adopting yeah. change itself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. So that's that was my experience too. So in Hyderabad, uh, everybody was ready to um, use the smartphone to earn a mm -hmm. livelihood. Now yeah. the challenges that I faced there as an entrepreneur was to figure out how to generate demand fast enough for them. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you convince people to book a mm -hmm. ride on an application mm -hmm. versus healing autos on the road? Because so yeah, so the challenge was on the demand side, right? So it became interesting. So how do you move people away from not just road hailing, but also introduce new customers. So, mm -hmm. you know, the proposition itself exists, which is that you have an efficient uh, auto at your fingertips. Uh, yeah. So how do you scale this? How can you bring target newer market segments? Uh, how mm -hmm. can you look at uh, college goers as a typical audience? How can you look yeah. at the elderly? How can you even look at um, consider uh, folks who use autos to go to schools, colleges, and offices on a daily basis to use mm -hmm. the app to do this, and what kind of a value proposition are you offering to them? So mm -hmm. it was quite fascinating for me to move my lens away from uh, drivers and look at consumer Still, segments and building mm -hmm. them and uh, scaling that out across Hyderabad. So a lot of, so I didn't mm -hmm. go to a B school, so a lot of this mm -hmm. are, you know, the, the way I run, you know, ran my enterprise is what taught me how to run yeah. Ola Auto as an enterprise um, mm -hmm. uh, in Hyderabad. 
So mm. uh, a lot of my, um, so I have a lot of, uh, what can I call it, um, a real world, um, mm. hands-on sort of an experience that's guiding yeah. me. So yep, yep. Uh, I had obviously amazing colleagues and mentors at Ola to help me mm-hmm. scale the uh, auto solution, not just in Hyderabad, but other cities as well. Mm-hmm. So after I joined within a year's time, uh, we worked with the central team to scale this now Ola Auto uh, when I was part of Ola Auto, we scaled it to over 70 cities. Now, mm-hmm. I, th- I believe Ola Auto is in uh, 70 to 100 plus cities in India, which is mind-boggling mm-hmm. when you yeah. think about it. Because just a decade earlier, you wouldn't have imagined uh, yeah. you know, a platform bringing <laughs> millions of drivers together. But yeah, now you actually have this huge platform, one and a half million drivers who are part of yeah. a single platform called Ola. So... It that's, boggles that's my mind every day, every waking hour. <laughs> that's uh, insane. No, that, that's that's a very uh, sort of you know, interesting graph that you had personally, you know, from 2,500 to, you know, now millions of sort of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, onto these platforms and, you know, really changing their lives. So I want to know, so because you transitioned from, uh, say, not-for-profit to a for-profit organization. So uh, well, did that change, uh, you know, sort of, uh, did, did that change uh, affect you in any way at all? Do you have, uh, did you have a certain preference? Okay, you know, I'm, I'm not more like a not-for-profit person, for-profit, you know, sort of, I don't know, maybe I'll have to compromise my ideals here and there, you know. So, like, like, how did, did you feel that transition? Did you feel yourself grappling with those issues or was it not sure. a problem? So, no, there was no tension. I think the transition was quite smooth simply because mm-hmm. what we did at Autoraja was also extremely entrepreneurial. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons we didn't start a, we didn't start an NGO, but we mm-hmm. started a social enterprise, enterprise. Was, mm-hmm. was the underlying, was for the underlying reason that for any solution to be sustainable, uh, mm-hmm. For any solution to scale, it has to be sustainable. And for any solution to be sustainable, you do need to introduce economics into the whole equation. Absolutely. So you do need some form of, you know, revenues flowing in. Yes. Um, and and a social enterprise is at the end of a day, at the end of the day, uh, a non-profit business, mm-hmm. right? So you do have, uh, you do have some form of commerce happening there. Now, obviously, yeah, yeah. Because you've got to break even. Uh, so you do have revenues coming in. You catch your expenses. It's just that you're not pocketing your exactly. So you otherwise you will not be able to scale. So just reinvesting all your profits into the enterprise and then helping yeah. it grow. So that's the only difference. So I think what also allowed me to do was bring a lot of my my social entrepreneurship learnings, the social enterprise learnings into the way that uh, I functioned at Ola. Uh, so we were able to, we were, you know, lucky uh, back in the day to have amazing colleagues who are helping build mm-hmm. these uh, social security or social benefit measures for uh, auto drivers affiliated to Ola also. So we mm-hmm. had quite a few number of value added services that we were able to test uh, yeah. and they take different shapes today. For example, today we have Ola um, run, uh, you know, Ola support an enterprise called Avail Finance. So mm-hmm. Avil Finance is um, uh, a fintech, uh, you know, new age uh, startup. What they do is provide micro insurance and micro credit to mm-hmm. uh, blue collar workers. So oh. a lot of the auto drivers cannot necessarily go to lo- banks to uh, get loans yep. simply because they don't have a, uh, a pay slip, right? That mm-hmm. we as employees might be 
uh, might have the yeah. luxury of eating every month but as a daily wage earner or as a as a micro entrepreneur mm-hmm. where do you generate your accounts from and how do you show somebody that you're, you this is your earning capacity and that you have mm-hmm. the capacity to repay a loan and that's where a lot of these new age startups are playing an amazing role and these are things that yeah. we were able to introduce in some fashion while mm-hmm. i was a part of polar auto so we looked at how access to healthcare and um, uh, insurance and institutional credit could be facilitated because now yeah. amazingly enough auto drivers and taxi drivers have these payslips generated for them right within oh, code space oh. so at mm-hmm. the end of the day uh, the cab uh, cabbies or auto drivers account on their apps tell them that this is how much they've earned so they yeah. can go back a month and look at their earnings for the past mm-hmm. few months they can look at their weekly earnings so this mm-hmm. kind of accounting was not happening before smartphones yeah. came in so this mm-hmm. ubiquity of smartphones is where where uh, what has allowed us to open up all these avenues for drivers that mm-hmm. were uh, not accessible to them otherwise mm-hmm. so um, so yeah so i think for me the uh, the transition itself was smooth Uh, mm-hmm. but it is also a lot more satisfying because a mm-hmm. lot of what i did at autoraja could now be done at uh, mm. ola auto as well and we yeah. were able to strengthen those models uh, mm-hmm. we created new models uh, at ola and i yeah. think that was quite beautiful a journey that's great no that, that that's awesome i love that you know because i mean i i was i, I mean because i mean it's not like it's it's not my uh, stereotype uh, you know of you know people working in the social sector and then people working in of course the private sector right you know there's always i don't know you know people in the social sector field they're doing just the good for humanity and you know private sector uh, for profit you know at the end of the day it's all about money this and that you know so i i was interested i was interested to know you know how would someone transition from that to this you know uh, but that's great you know because at the end of the day what matters is social impact and which of course ola has managed to create at scale in this country right exactly. i mean hundreds of thousands of auto drivers earning more because of a single platform that's great that's that's an amazing opportunity so i i understand you know why that satisfies your inner sociologist <laughs> which is great <laughs> uh, so uh, so there's this concept i came across uh, i attended uh, a seminar where uh, the uh, cto of transport for london uh shashi varma his name is shashi varma he uh, spoke about this concept called the social uh, i just wrote it down here let me just yeah uh, the value of social harmony in transportation so what he meant by that was that you know uh, in london the london buses the, the red color buses uh, they are basically i mean they there in those buses almost you can find any kind of people in there whether it's you know corporates from big companies going in it they'll hail a bus whether it is you know some dancer whether it's you know an, a, a, a person from the informal economy there you know anyone and any everyone will be in that uh, bus so it it's kind of like a social inclusion in a way that these buses carry that and almost anyone can find themselves in there but in india we don't have that in india we look at buses as a poor man's transport we look at autos also you know in a way uh not the wealthy people walking around i mean you know moving around in autos so uh, <clears throat> have you come across this concept of social uh, the value of social harmony in transportation and you know like what are your thoughts on it and you know uh, like in india specifically are through with the help of ola are we able to have we able to you know sort of mend that perception of either if it's an auto or a bus or whatever you know through the new age uh, uh, technology startups that we have sure sure so um so what uh, 
Mr. Verma mentioned is something that, uh, so the opposite of it was mentioned to me by an auto driver in Chennai. So mm -hmm. he spoke about how, uh, so this is uh, the pre-smartphone era, right? So he yeah. spoke about how a lot of the larger uh, malls or uh, five-star hotels or even four-star hotels uh, wouldn't allow auto rickshaws to enter. Four-wheelers mm -hmm. are allowed, but auto rickshaws aren't entered. So in a way, uh, he called so he coined he coined this phrase called new age uh, discrimination. Mm -hmm. uh, so so in uh, Tamil he it's called Navina Tindamai. So mm -hmm. in in English translated roughly translated to English is new age discrimination. And he used it uh, specifically to say that listen perhaps there is a passenger waiting to use an auto to go to that five star hotel because yeah. you know they don't mind. But mm -hmm. you know there is an entry barrier that the five star hotel mm -hmm. is. So, yeah. so when we talk about inclusion and mobility, as mm -hmm. much as it's the intent of a service provider to be as inclusive as they want, we, yes, need to understand what is the consumer preference and also what kind of uh, roadblocks are, are being created at the place of, at the destination, right, mm -hmm. of a particular ride. Yeah. So why do we have this segregation where, you know, uh, right till the airport, taxis can go, but autos can't. And I've seen so many people use an auto rickshaw to, to yeah. go to uh, go to the airport too because it saves them money. And if the yeah. weather is pleasant, why not? I mean, why shouldn't yeah. I use an auto rickshaw to even travel long distance? But mm -hmm. um, but but yeah. So this is the perspective of the driver, and I thought it would. Mm -hmm. I thought I needed to introduce it because there are so many perspectives that we need to factor yeah. in. Mm -hmm. um, but but yes, today, I think technology platforms are allowing us to be a lot more inclusive as a society. Um, mm -hmm. And take the case of Ola itself. Ola has, um, you know, has a plethora of uh, categories of uh, mobility solutions you can choose from. Uh, mm -hmm. And this caters to a variety of users, right? Right from somebody like a college student who might prefer an yeah. auto rickshaw or a bike ride, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an auto rickshaw if there are multiple people traveling together. Uh, somebody yeah. would prefer only a shared taxi. Somebody mm -hmm. wants to hail a, an individual taxi. So mm -hmm. I think platforms are able to uh, make mobility services more inclusive by mm -hmm. offering a variety of solutions. Definitely. Uh, to uh, platforms have also made um, even air-conditioned travel affordable mm -hmm. to plenty mm -hmm. simply because yeah. of the network effect, uh, simply because of the effect of um, uh, scale that they're able mm -hmm. to gain from. So mm -hmm. earlier, uh, an AC taxi would have to charge you double or triple the fare uh, simply yeah. because they have to factor in uh, the loss of fare on the return ride mm -hmm. to the airport or to yes. the auto stand or taxi stand. Mm -hmm. uh, but now air-conditioned taxis uh, ferry passengers back to back, thereby allowing yeah. them to lower their cost per ride or per kilometer. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this makes even air-conditioned rides, air-conditioned miles so much mm -hmm. more affordable to the masses, right? So earlier, yeah. I wouldn't be on AC car every day, but today I can. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, when yeah. we talk about public transportation too, uh, take the case of Delhi Metro. Delhi mm -hmm. Metro and Mumbai Local are mm -hmm. two beautiful examples of public transportation modes where irrespective of an individual yes. socioeconomic background, you're rubbing shoulders with everybody <laughs> in the society. Well, you're right? rubbing a lot more than shoulders. So, yeah. <laughs> so there is just 
a lot more, um, you know, in a way that you've democratized mobility, you've made it, you yes. made mobility more inclusive. Anybody and everybody can access. And that's why I yeah. personally like the Delhi Metro so much because I don't think in 2000s we could have imagined uh, mm -hmm. an air-conditioned coach taking yeah. people of all socioeconomic backgrounds around Definitely. together yeah. and at mm -hmm. such affordable costs. So yes, I yes. think it's in the service provider's mindset. Mm -hmm. So today there is so much of discourse around how mm -hmm. uh, public transport service providers too need to adopt a uh, service mindset as against yes. thinking purely in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, terms of Ticket operation. sold, right, exactly. this and that, yeah. So you could, so you again, you need, do need to make this sustainable, both mm -hmm. financially um, and, you know, sustainable for in the long run as well. So you need to scale yeah. this. So there has to be some kind of a feasibility test that we do, but there are mm -hmm. interesting ways to do it. For example, um, Chennai and Bangalore have uh, AC buses. Uh, mm -hmm. Earlier public transport, I mean, public transport bus meant only a non-air-conditioned rickety ride, but now you have an air-conditioned bus that can take you places. Yes. And mm -hmm. it is priced higher than mm -hmm. a, a normal bus. And that's one way for the operator also to recover their costs. Uh, yes. But they need to be a little more creative here. How mm -hmm. could you do that? For example, uh, the prime minister a few years ago asked us to give us uh, give up LPG subsidies. I've been <laughs> trying the idea of giving up my public transport subsidy. Why do oh. I, who can afford to pay more, can I, you know, maybe pay uh, pay more instead of paying mm -hmm. 10 rupees for a ride? Uh, mm -hmm. Can I say I give up my subsidy on public transport and I need I'll pay a higher fare? And only yeah. those that are eligible for subsidies end up getting mm -hmm. that subsidized cost. Mm -hmm. That way, there can be, you know, more money spent into upping the quality of buses, yeah. into routes, into expanding your public transport coverage. Mm -hmm. You just have mm -hmm. a, you, you need to generate more revenue as a public yeah. transport operator. And you need yep, to think yep. of these creative solutions. So yeah, you don't have solution. <laughs> Yeah. It's a great, I mean, uh, as opposed to equality, it comes into equity, right? You exactly. know, that if I earn exactly. more, I should be paying yeah. a little more, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if someone doesn't, they should be subsidized for it. Yeah, so why are you subsidizing it point blank for everybody? I am not your likely candidate or a, yeah. a prospective bus user. Exactly. But you need to attract me to buses because that's the only, subs, you know, uh, sustainable way forward. Exactly. And for you to attack me, you you need to up your game, right? You provide me an air-conditioned bus, allow yeah. me to sit comfortably without rubbing shoulders or more with uh, uh, some <laughs> many of my passengers. Give yeah. me a safe experience. Give me a clean and hassle-free experience. And mm -hmm. for you to do that, generate more revenues. And yep. for that to happen, there are there is no harm in you know us many of us not wanting to yeah. take that public transport subsidy and. That's maybe an interesting point to pitch. That, maybe sure. That's a very interesting point, actually. And I mean, I I I, I didn't I, I didn't think of that at all. But of course, you yeah, know, your experience. Has. Oh, <laughs> this is great. Then I think this is the first time on this platform we've come up with a solution. In case it gets implemented, well, you heard it here first. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that, no, that that's that's. Uh, I I love that. Uh, you know that that you came up with that. And and the other thing I want to make a, a point around. You know, the whole social inclusion part in transportation is that. 
you know when i tra- again you know when i travel in bangalore metro or any metro for that matter you know i get to observe people who are not from my socio economic background I, and i think that's very important for us to empathize with people who don't look and function like us you know i mean like this country is so vast that you know we have so many people uh, from a diverse uh, range of background and if we only see and meet people from our own backgrounds we will almost assume that only people like us exist and the other side of the coin does not you know and that's the big problem that we don't empathize with each other both both them and us right you know for yeah. them when they come when they come into such uh, uh, structures where you know they find people who are of course you know slightly higher in the social economic hierarchy uh, they they look at us and then i and hopefully i find I, i hope both the sides find something human about each other that you know that i mean they're not gods okay that hopefully they think about and we don't think that okay you know this is a human being you know maybe he's not earning more or whatever maybe he's not dressed well but hey you know this is a human being just like me you know he has problems just like me uh, so uh, that that's something that also uh, you know inclusion gives way to empathizing which is i hope i think very important in today's world you know uh, so that, that that's one thing that's very important from my end it was quite fascinating the way you put it uh, you know i yes I, differences will come to the fore but it's mm-hmm. also a good equalizer when we are exactly. on a shared platform that's exactly the word and uh, yes i mean i was worried that we would appear tone deaf <laughs> mm-hmm. because you know we would also then imagine our uh, uh, podcast audience uh, oh. to be of a certain uh, you know background but and... diplomatic <laughs> really i yes. should have, i should have paid more attention to the podcast then uh, i mean i mean i mean i've learned you know, to put my point across in a much more polite manner but you know doesn't mean i don't have any i think it's important to have any uh, some some set of opinions especially if, if 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 that's your area of work and if you're as passionate uh, you definitely come up with things right uh, i i want to ask something super relevant and you know i think uh, we've Uh, we're uh, we're uh, you know sort of stretching our time but i want to take too much time i want to ask about you know the whole covid situation i know you know it's impacted mobility of course in a big way hospitality travel so much of things related to mobility has been impacted uh, but in the trajectory of transition that we were we are anyway in between how much how much has covid sort of you know knocked us off the track has it at all or is it a minor deviation to the destination we want to get to what do you think okay so that's our billion dollar question at the moment i think that's for every industry <laughs> yeah, <I mean. laughs> and anybody uh so so this is something that my colleagues and i at ola mobility institute of which i'm a part um you, have also been trying to yes i'll do so um so um a year and a half ago ola the ride share platform uh, created sort of um you know introduced to the world this think tank called ola mobility institute uh, we are a extremely small team of um, uh, sociologists like me uh, developmental scientists economists public policy mm-hmm. professionals uh, we create uh, knowledge frameworks develop knowledge frameworks at the intersection of mobility innovation and public good uh, in simple words we are keen to understand the interplay of technology and society uh but pertaining to the mobility ecosystem so what we've been doing is we've been looking at ola and other such businesses platform businesses in this space extremely closely and trying to measure their socio economic impact uh and deriving policy lessons from them 
to give you a quick example uh, ola <clears throat> one of ola's verticals one of ola's sister companies is ola electric so ola electric um, this all electric manages uh, an all electric fleet of vehicles and is also into the energy domain so ola electric uh, two summers ago uh, created uh, india's launched india's first multimodal electric mobility project so they introduced mm-hmm. electric rickshaws and electric cars in the city of nagpur yes. fast forward to uh, one and a half two years omi was able to study this particular project and derive policy lessons so we realized that india was headed in the direction of um you know incentivizing individuals such as you and me to buy electric vehicles and use them and maybe it was overlooking this larger segment of shared mobility actors including public transport service providers as well as um uh, uh employee transportation even government themselves uh, itself uses multiple fleets of vehicles all across mm-hmm. the country and all these could be electrified and perhaps these are your early adopters because for them economics makes sense uh, for individual users buying an electric vehicle which is prohibitively more expensive than an um, mm-hmm. internal combustion engine vehicle yes uh, could could you know be problematic so mm-hmm. give, so we at omi were able to derive such lessons so we said mm-hmm. uh, we, you know we then presented these to policy makers and that's what we do uh, day in and day out now we look mm-hmm. at multiplicity of sustainability um and shared mobility uh, electric mobility future of work mm-hmm. issues uh, and derive policy lessons uh, learnings from the from the grounds up uh, from real world examples uh, so over the last one and a half years of our existence we've built close to nine reports and we've socialized that not just in india but elsewhere we've partnered with organizations like the world economic forum and more mm-hmm. so therefore uh, we have a unique vantage point simply because we're part of ola as well yes. so we understand where the business is headed uh, mm-hmm. and because of our collaborations with so many stakeholders including other businesses uh, mm-hmm. in this space we are able to uh, also to some extent foresee the future i don't know how mm-hmm. accurate we are yet but yeah. this is the question that we've also been uh, trying to answer which is that mm-hmm. uh, what kind of a pause if at all covid has uh, covid has made uh, to the mobility sector particularly and to the larger mm-hmm. economy in general yeah. uh, and we would like to answer this in a multiplicity of ways i would assume so the mm-hmm. first thing is let's speak about the shared mobility ecosystem itself so mm-hmm. now of course there's this whole work from home situation for yeah. we think it's for a majority of us but that's not the case because india india has over 90% of its workforce in the informal sector so uh, let's look at let's start with uh, covid's impact on shared mobility uh, first um so uh, the pandemic obviously necessitates a lot of us to work from home there is a lot down situation in some cities but uh, the lockdowns also lifting uh, which means that many individuals particularly those that are not part of uh, uh, that cannot afford to work from home are back on the road and are uh, using they have their you know invariably just using public transportation to go about they're also using yeah. um, uh, cabs and auto rickshaws that they uh, book on the app to you know uh, go to their workplaces and we imagine that um although the travel demand fell to a great extent when the lockdown was in place 
uh, this opening up is uh, you know only going to boost the shared mobility ecosystem further. Uh, the second point is that within the shared mobility space, we need to realize that it is only shared mobility that will keep um, um, that will ensure that mobility remains affordable for people and remains affordable for the masses. Uh, India has always relied on shared mobility. Uh, India, uh, you know, uh, both our census 2011 as well as the NSSO survey of 2015, uh, which looked at uh, the commuting choices made by people, tell us that a majority of the trips, work trips that happen in India happen by public transportation or by foot or bicycle in the country. So uh, this is something that, you know, will only continue. Um, and, and, you know, uh, COVID's also stopped uh, people from making discretionary spending, which means that there won't be a sudden shoot or a boost in private vehicle ownership in the country either. So the last mm -hmm. pre-check, India had um, 22 uh, cars per thousand individuals, right? So this kind of a low per capita ownership is why, uh, was what, it, what makes India ripe for further strengthening of shared mobility. And we need to be cognizant of this. So mm -hmm. I don't think COVID uh, is perhaps a small blip in the larger things, uh, in the larger yeah. scheme of things, especially when it comes to shared mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, e-mobility, electric mobility, I think COVID's in a way become an opportunity for us. So when the lockdown happened, everybody spoke about being able to view the Himalayas from their balconies. They were uh -huh. they woke up yes. to clean blue skies. They woke up to breathable cities. And that's something that makes us see, uh, you know, that gave us the experience of a future where mm -hmm. all all mobility on ground would be electric mobility solutions, right? Yes. And I think that firsthand experience is what will um, continue pushing India towards that goal of sustainability and circularity, which mm -hmm. even before COVID, perhaps we may not have had that kind of a motivation to yeah. make it self-reliant in terms of energy, mm -hmm. to make yeah. Indian cities more breathable and livable, by getting mm -hmm. rid of the uh, emissions from uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. Yeah. But I think now the drive is even more because we saw firsthand what a world with just EVs all around yeah. us, what a decarbonized world would look yes. like during the lockdown. Mm -hmm. So that's another mm -hmm. way to look at this, uh, look, at the, uh, look at things or look at the economy and mobility sector, particularly through the prism of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, lastly, of course, you know, even in terms of livelihoods, uh, there are, I think, both shared mobility and electric mobility that has shown us that plenty of livelihood unlock uh, can happen to the scale of millions of livelihood opportunities being created uh, thanks to the existing of such existence of such platforms. And that is only going to continue. Uh, I think mm -hmm. a lot of, unfortunately, many people have been let go. Uh, from their jobs. And I think mm -hmm. it would just be interesting to see how they can turn to the platform economy uh, to, um, uh, to, you know, get back into the economy more productively and be a more productive uh, contributor. So um, I think a lot of platform jobs are going to uh, help mm -hmm. India go forward. Uh, shared yeah. mobility and electric mobility are definitely here to stay. And I think we have renewed interest in mm -hmm. achieving the shared mobility and electric mobility goals uh, simply because COVID happened.
Okay, that that's an interesting perspective because you know, I mean, uh, people of course you know d- during this time everyone has this whole thing that okay you know maybe this is uh, you know uh, I've gone on record and said you know this is the greatest year whatever 2020 everyone you know anyway was looking forward to 2020 and for it to be a landmark year just not in the way it turned out to be uh, and uh, you know I mean, if I go back and look at those videos I mean I mean it looks I, I feel like laughing at myself because you know. I was just praising the year and how it's going to be. But then I realized, you know, I also spoke about the decade to come, you know, like the 2020s, you know, the 2020s are going to be a big decade. And I think I completely agree with you, uh, you know, I, and at least I hope that, you know, that's the case where, you know, uh, the COVID situation ha- is, is is a, if at all, it's a speed, uh, speed breaker, it's a small speed breaker. But as you've said, it's not a speed breaker. It's basically shown us a trailer to a movie that we'd really like to see, right? So uh, that's 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 an interesting perspective, and I hope that it actually happens. Uh, that's great. We're we're uh, going to the end of the sort of you know our our discussion. I'd like you to sort of you know appeal and talk to uh, budding students uh, right now in college, uh, fellow you know your sociologist uh, you know uh, sort of students out there who may not look at mobility uh, as a, as a as a career, you know. Uh, while they're while they're studying right now, so what 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 message would you like to give to them? You know, ten years spending your life in this as a sociologist. So, um, you know, like I said, technology and society. I think uh, if we were still living, this would not be a fascinating space to be in. This is not opening up multiple avenues for research or entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case today. Uh, mm-hmm. So smartphones have revolutionized the way we live and work and breathe. Uh, and every waking hour is controlled by our access to one mobile device or the other. Mm-hmm. Now, it's helping us earn. It's helping us, it's helping us access work, right? It's helping us access um, uh, even education. So this, I think this is ripe time for anybody to enter the domain of uh, mobility um, uh, either as a researcher or, or as an entrepreneur themselves. And not just, I think there are plenty of ways you can look at what technology is doing to lives and livelihoods. You can look at, you can take the worker side of affairs and try to study that further. You can, as a sociologist, also try to understand the impact that platforms have had on uh, inclusion itself. Are we catering to a diverse set of consumers or are we building silos there that don't mm-hmm. speak to each other? Right. So Mm -hmm. are we recreating some of the challenges offline in the online world? So Mm -hmm. I think there's so many avenues that we can investigate and more so for more and more, you know, transport planners and urban planners to get into this space. I Mm -hmm. think they too need to understand how platforms work. Uh, You know, Ola Mobility Institute is a a good uh, motley crowd of sociologists and urban planners and economists to all come together Mm -hmm. to. Uh, to make sense, to make policy sense of yeah. uh, real world things. So I would say that there's just plenty of opportunities. There are so many opportunities for us to uh, even choose, I think, a tiny part. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we are, all, and I, I think our, our impact is also huge. Anything you do in this space has, has a huge impact. So if that is yeah. something that appeals to people, and I know there are many of me out there. So <laughs> if that's something that appeals to folks, then... Uh, there is impact as well. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. You know, there's, there's so much to be done in the industry. We're so early on in the process, you know, even though you spend 10 years in it, I think this, this there's a lot more, uh, you know, uh, decades worth of work left because 
such as the challenge that we've taken upon ourselves right uh, so yeah i mean and the, the good thing about this industry is that you know uh, for the first time in the sort of automotive if you want to call it industry and now that we're transitioning into mobility it's just the convergence of so many different fields software automotives uh, of course you know sociology urban planning uh, technology of course you know it's just such a such a rich and diverse a group of people just can can come together and have an opportunity to come together to innovate so i mean that's another thing that Absolutely. i'm very fascinated and we seem to have just scratched the surface right so yep. you know how, what percentage of rides in india motorized rides are even digitalized today oh exactly so, so in terms of digital rides you're only talking about perhaps uh 2 to 5% uh mm-hmm. in various categories uh but imagine the day you st- reach 10% of the rides uh, yeah. in a lot of the metropolitan cities that is already the case but mm-hmm. pan india so if you look at the pan india average it's much lower imagine yeah. the day when you reach 50% of mm-hmm. all your motorized rides getting uh, happening on digital platforms and there's a lot yes. more efficiency more people mm-hmm. can get to their jobs uh, in yep. cheaper ways and more affordable ways and more sustainable ways as well Yes, so absolutely. so you're right so i think we are at a good confluence right now mm-hmm. and there can't be a there can't be a better time to get into this domain absolutely absolutely i think i think the last 10 years created the foundation and on the base of that foundation the next 10 years are just going to you know sort of extrapolate w- what we have achieved and just you know i don't know i hope 10 20 times the impact that we've had in the last 10 years can we can hopefully have in the next uh, sort of and 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 with that and thank you so much aishwarya for joining me i think this was uh, a great session i had i was looking forward to this uh, for quite some time and i i'm glad it turned out the way that it did i hope you enjoyed uh, you know being on Absolutely. the show and speaking to me uh-huh. quite an enriching conversation chidar good luck with thank this you. podcast series as well and thanks for having me thank you so much thank you so much. thank you for everyone who's watching and listening to this uh, i hope you guys uh, took away a lot of insights from this conversation and as usual you know uh, i'm going to keep coming back with more and more and with more with amazing amazing guests like aishwarya raman thank you so much uh, have a good day and be driven differently